Over the course of 18 hours, the runners hit Jinteki, Haz Bioroid, and Wayland Consortium with DOS attacks, data theft, and a truly vulgar piece of cyber vandalism. These attacks cost each megacorp millions upon millions of credits. NBN put together a hollow report inside half an hour. 30 minutes after the third megacorp node went dark, Lily Lockwell was standing in front of the, the, the Beanstalk, gravely lecturing on the evils of unregulated networks and the rise of cybercrime worldwide. Five minutes later, the runner had struck again. Now Lockwell was reading out the Anarch's manifesto. They hadn't bothered to make her lip sync with the new audio track. One in three feeds got a special bonus. Lockwell's head grafted onto a synth star's scantily clad body. The talking head said it was a legion of organized cybercriminals. Trimath activity, Martian terrorists. They were wrong. It was three people. A G-Mod from Heinlein, a cyborg New Angelo, New Angelino, and a baseline woman from Boss Wash, who knew one another by reputation only. But the heads were right about one thing. It was the start of a cyber war, one that neither side could afford to lose. Hello, everybody, and welcome to uh, the Nash 20 Review. Today we're talking about Android Netrunner, the card game. A card game brought to you by uh, the creator of Magic the Gathering, Richard Garfield. Um... And published by Wizards, Wizards of the Coast. Wizards of the Coast and Fantasy Flight Games. Um, so, we are Final Show Films. I'm Sinstaku, and with me today is... Yeah, of course. And Units. And we... Yeah. So, uh, Android Netrunner is a deck-building card game. as a deck-building asymmetrical card game wherein two players, and it's only two players, play as, uh, respectively, a runner and a corporation. The objective of the game is for the runner to steal agendas from the corporation and gain seven points off the seven agenda points. Each agenda is worth a number of points. Um, and the corporation wants to complete their agendas and get seven agenda points. It's a fairly simple concept. Uh, where it gets interesting is in the execution of that concept. Um, each the, 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 the runners and the corporations have their own individual decks. Uh, which are differentiated by what they do, their abilities, their names, and the even the card backs. Either. Yeah, like the card types. Even they're very different. They're very different, and they're very obviously don't belong in one of those decks. Um, the corporation builds servers. Uh, the servers are their objectives. They can be agendas. They can be assets. They can be traps. Uh, but they build a server to that, that the runners are then going to try to hit and steal whatever the server, whatever the payload on the server is. They then uh, defend their server with ice, which are programs that do various things once they're activated. The runner builds up their rig, uh, installing programs, mods, and resources, uh, and then makes a run against. A server bypassing ice through pro- through use of programs on, in their rig, and it just goes back and forth until someone wins. And sometimes that can take a long time, as we saw in one game. And sometimes that can take one round. Um, it was worth noting that there are two alternate win cons. Yeah. So the 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 primary way to win uh, is for either side to complete their objective of getting seven agenda points. Alternately, the corporation can win by killing the runner, and the runner can win by decking the corporation. Uh, to clarify what that means. Well, I mean, so if the, so, each 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 player has a deck of cards, and if you run through the deck and can't draw any more, the corporation loses. The runner does not lose if they can't draw any more cards. They 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 only lose if they die, or if the corporation gets their agenda points. Um, and dying is so whenever you take any damage, you discard one of your cards in your hand. If you don't have any cards in your hand when you take damage, you get flatlined and you die. Yeah. Um. It's a pretty simple game. Like 
it's simple in concept, yeah. but there's so many moving parts. And one of the biggest elements that you didn't mention is that all of the corporation's cards are played face down for free and then activated by flipping them over. Yes. This is kind of the big thing. This is how they lay traps. This is how... It, it means that the runner... There's a lot of hidden information, and that's how the corp, what the corporations use. The corporation has a lot of hidden information. The runner has no hidden information, except for what's in their hand. Yeah. But none of the cards can be played not during an action. Like, there's no cards that say, while you're running, you do this. You can't... So there's no surprises while the runner is running. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and that is, like I said, the, the, I think the most interesting thing about this is that it's asymmetrical gameplay. It's that the... Very. It's not the, just asymmetrical. It's super asymmetrical. Well, I mean, you can only be asymmetrical well, or not asymmetrical. But there are games where you both have this... You, you have different objectives, but you have the same similar cards, or you have, you know, different decks. This game, everything is different. Yeah. It's Everything like, from the card backs to, to how you play your it. cards face down and yeah. flipping them over. Yep. The number of actions. So it, it's it's more complex to learn than most card games simply because you have to learn two ways to play the game. Yeah, it's, the it, it, is, it is it is it is by default twice as hard to, to learn as Magic the Gathering. It also has a hold on real quick. It has a light novel for a rule book. It has a thirty six page long rule book and it is a large thirty six page long rule book. Yep. It's a large, nice, nice, nice to put together. But we'll talk about that it's, more. It's very materials. thorough, very thorough. But it, it's thorough to the point where it overcomplicates things. Yeah. So it's, you learn much more quickly when you play around. So going into a little bit more of the details about how the game is played, uh, the so the the corporation plays defensively and the runner plays offensively. The corporation has uh, it has remote servers that you can attack. They also have their library, which is called R&D, that you can attack. And, yeah, with their, their deck, yeah, which is called R&D to attack. Um, and they have their hand that you can attack, which is called H- HQ. And they have their discard pile that you can attack, which is called their archives. Um, basically, the way it works, again, the, the runner's objective is to get cards, is to get agendas. Um, so you make a run, if you make a run at the deck and the card you reveal is an agenda, you steal it. If it's an asset, it has a trash value on it, which is a, you know, there's a little garbage can on the bottom of the card, and it'll have a number there. That's how many That's how many credits you pay to destroy that card. We'll talk about credits in a second. Um, or it's a card you can interact with and you just put it back on top of the deck. If you make a run at the discard pile, you automatically take any agendas that are in there and terminate or, like, remove from game the rest of the cards in the discard pile? No, they stay in the discard you pile. There? Yeah, you just um, take an agenda. Like, the, the way it works is, going at the archive is just like anything else, except that you can choose to interact with any cards you want to interact with. So yeah. you can trash cards from the discard pile if yeah. you don't want them to get them back. You can steal agendas, but if they have a trap in their discard pile, you can choose to not access it. Yeah. Um... And then, you know, you can also, if you run at a server and it is an agenda, you get it, if, if you get to it. And if it's not an agenda, you can most of the time trash it. Uh, like, for instance, there are cards like uh, the uh, pad, pad campaign that lets the corporation get money at the top of the round in return. So, each of the, game, each of the players has a number of actions. The corporation has three actions, and the runner has four actions. 
this seems off balance, except that the corporation has the corporation really does have four actions. It's just one of them is taken automatically for them. Uh, at the beginning of their turn, we'll start. We'll start the corporation because the corporation always goes first. Uh, the corporation draws a card, which is their first action, not one of their three other actions that they get per turn. They can then draw more cards per action. They can uh, put down assets per... Or put down... Uh, they can put any card down. Face well, a- a- when I say assets, I mean um, install a card. Inst- they can install a card, be it an asset, an agenda, an upgrade, or a piece of ice. Um, they can play an operation from their hand. They can... Operations being one-time effect that go to your discard pile. Yep. They can purge virus... Or they can use all three of their turns to purge virus counters off their opponent. Um, Which virus counters are things you build up on programs to uh, spend on program things. Yeah. Uh, They can can also gain credits. Uh, They can also use an action to gain one credit. The runners have four actions, but they have less things they can do with them. They can draw a card. They don't automatically draw a card at the beginning of the turn, so they have to spend an action to draw if they want to. Uh, They can gain a credit... They can install a program, hardware, or resource. They can play an event, which the events are basically the same thing as operations. It's as the only thing that, operations. that crosses over. Yeah. Operations and events are the same thing. Um, and they can spend two credits and a turn to remove a tag if their corporation is tagged to them. And they can make a run. Uh, this Now, you can make a run as many times as you want, so long as you have actions left, which led to some things like where Units was making runs against a thing he knew he could beat every time, even though it didn't get him any benefit other than allowing him to make a successful run, which then triggered virus counters on his thing, on his stuff. Um, <clears throat> and that's it. It goes back and forth. You, you, The corporation takes their three turns, then the runner takes their four turns, then the corporation takes their three turns, back and forth until somebody wins. Um, is there anything we missed? No, uh, that, that seems like. Oh yeah, uh, credits, credits. Yeah. Uh, so, credits. so credits. You use credits. You, both both teams start with five credits, and you use credits to purchase the cards that you're using. So, with a corporation, they put their cards face down, but in order to activate them, they turn them face up. To they 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 pay for them and turn them face up. This also goes for. Uh, Agendas. However, agendas, they pay for one credit at a time. So it's called advancing an agenda. You, you pay one credit to put an advancement token, which is the credit turned upside down, um, on the agenda card. And you advance it to its cost, which is when you trigger it and get the agenda points. Uh, the other things have a static cost that you pay to activate them. So for instance, there are walls that you can pay to put you can put a you can put a wall a barrier ice between your server and the runner, and the wall might cost three credits to turn on to turn on. You put it face down as a corporation, and then when the runner interacts with it, you pay the three, turn it on, and if they can't deal with it, it does something to either stop them or do or damage them. Or do something else. Um same thing with the runner, except the runner has to pay to play their cards. The runner, the runner, however, has some cards that don't require any cost. They have, like, zero-cost resources, and most events don't yeah. cost anything, uh, whereas their programs can cost quite a bit. Like, there are programs... There there's, there's one piece of hardware that costs nine credits. Um, so... And it is a deck-building game. Typically, you put yeah. your high-credit costs and exactly. bills that build, make a lot of credits. So. Um, but credits are required. 
So there, there is a little bit of nuance to the deck building. Um, so there are four corporations mm-hmm. and three runner factions. The four, the four corporations are Jinteki, uh, Personal Evolution, Haas Biodroid, Engineering the Future, Wayland Consortium, Building a Better World, and NBN, Making News. Three, the three runner factions are the make are the. I don't have the list here. I think it's They're the, the shapers, the shapers, the anarchs, not the anarchists, the anarchs. like you would expect. I mean, anarchs is a short form of anarchists. Yeah, just I've never heard the phrase anarch before. Really? Nope. It's and, fairly common. And the Criminals. straight up criminal, <laughs> the criminal shaper anarch. Yeah, an- anarchs pretty common. Okay. Uh, and each of them tends to play a different way, uh, just based on the base cards that we have in the starting in the starting game. There, are, I understand there are more card expansions to this game, but and they're not random boosters. They are actual expansions. But starting in base uh, for the runners, noise of the anarchs likes to put down viruses that will hinder the enemy. Uh, Kate likes Kate of the Shapers likes to build out machines to make herself more efficient in making runs, and. Gabriel of the criminals makes a lot of money. <laughs> I mean, uses, and uses that money to help either reveal or just filter himself to make himself. Kate better. can also make a lot of money. <laughs> Not like Gabriel, though. Gab- Gabriel is making and spending big money, and he knows everything. Yeah, and each each character and and corporation has a unique ability. Um, noise. Whenever you install a virus program, corp trash is the top card of R and D. Uh, Kate, lower the install cost of the first program or hardware you install by one each, each turn. Uh, Gabriel, each time you make a successful run, get two credits, run HQ, on the hand. Yeah. Osbioroid, you can guess what these decks want to do by their abilities. Jinteki, whenever an agenda is scored or stolen, do a net damage. Jinteki wants you dead. Jinteki wants you very dead, and they like to do it by ambushing you or just scoring on their own. Uh, Osbioroid, first time you install a card each turn, gain a credit. They make all the money. A lot of money. NBN, you get two extra credits every time you do a trace. They want to put traces on their target so they can blow them out of the water. And Whaling Consortium, gain a credit whenever you whenever you play a transaction operation. They also make lots of money, but they use it to make big things that they can advance. They're also the hostile takeover company. Yeah. They get bad publicity. And you... You can build just straight out of these decks, but each deck also has, at the moment, 15 influence points which with, with which they can take cards from other corporations or runner factions to build into their deck, um, which I found is really the way that you really get the most advantage out of your corporation is you build a deck that you want rather than just playing the basic. Yeah. The basic decks are not nearly as strong. So I think that's everything. Yeah. So let's talk about our first impressions. Starting with Shadow Course. Um, I enjoy the game. I like I like asymmetrical, challenging games. It's uh, it's an interesting game to play. Um, it took me a second to figure out how the corporation wanted to play. They definitely want to play to their hidden information. Uh, they want to trick the runner. You have to outthink the runner as the corporation. Um, and the runners conversely play a much more straightforward approach which you would think would be backwards for like a Shadowrun-esque setting where the runners are typically the ones who don't have the firepower but it's a lot more straightforward playing a runner than a corporation well I mean theoretically if you look at the way it's it's set up the runners don't have the firepower because they can't kill the corporation I mean yes (laughs) yeah that's the thing the corp kills can very easily kill the runners 
the runners have a whole lot of trouble decking the corp. Yeah, but like gameplay wise, the runners take a very straightforward approach while the corporation is trying to play all the like weird the, yeah, the weird mean, side the weird side runs. Yeah. yeah. Uh, my first impression is it's asymmetrical to a fault. Um, I felt like the runners have a whole uh, have a lot of an easier time scoring agendas, but the corporations control how the game plays because the runner has to steal from the corporations. If the corporation isn't doing things that the runner wants them to do, it doesn't matter how well the runner is hitting them. Yeah. There's also so many different card types. Um, this game I felt had a very had big problem with I'm either drawing all my ice to protect my programs, I'm not drawing the programs I or not sorry, to protect my assets and agendas, but not I'm not drawing assets and agendas, or I'm drawing a whole bunch of assets and agendas and not exactly the amount of ice I need, or I don't have the operations I need to make money, or it's just that there's so many different parts elements to make everything move, it's very easy for any bit of the balance to be off. Just like the runners, they have to have a lot of credits because using their programs takes credits. But at the same time, if they spend all their time getting credits, they're not building the soft the programs to break in and make successful runs. And if they're not making successful runs, they're not winning. Yeah. Um, for me, it definitely it, it, the game seems a lot more complex than it actually is. And I, that, that, I think that that's a problem Richard Garfield has when designing games. I think every game we've we've played that he's designed ever in our lives has been. Seem, has seems a lot more complex than it actually is. He he has a he has a real problem with getting information across. He's really pro- he has a really big problem with making a whole bunch of moving steps to accomplish one thing. one thing. Yeah, um, yeah. There, there's, there's so many moving parts to this game, and the simple fact that neither you know neither player plays the same way, so you have to learn two very different play styles. Uh, you have to turn, you have to learn two different rule sets. Uh, just for you know, just to play the damn game, um, yeah. It, it that, that was my first thing. It's, just, it's over. I think it's overly complicated, more complicated than it actually needs to be. On the surface, it's not actually all that complicated once you know what's going on, but just the getting in part. There's a big barrier to entry. Yeah. So let's talk about things we liked about it. Um. I was the one that sat down with this rule set while people were doing other things and learned how to play, so the barrier to entry was relatively small to me because I basically played a game or two with myself until I figured it out. So, But that was still a chunk of time you took doing that. I mean, yes. I mean, that, that, that was the barrier to entry. You had to play a few games before you figured it out. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, figured, I basically figured it out after playing a hand or two, like a hand for myself. Um, but... The, I really do enjoy the... I actually do like the asymmetry. Um, it's... I do like that both both uh, both sides of the game play differently. Uh, because it keeps the game fresh to me. Like, magic, I can generally take a guess based on what's in the set, what a specific color of magic is going to try and play. Red's going to try and kill me. Blue's gonna try and win with some with some side with some side victory condition. Green's gonna put something really big that I have to deal with. Black's gonna blow up my board, etc., etc. I mean, you can make you can make that sort of a deconstructive argument about any game, though. Yeah. No. Yes. Even this. Yes, but the thing Hoss is, Firewood is going to try to kill you. Yes. Jitagi is going to try to kill you. You can you can say it. You can you can make that argument. However, but both sides do something different. Like. Five colors of magic are always the five colors of magic, and both players are playing with the five colors of magic. At the same time, 
The four corporations are the four corporations. Yeah, but, and but what the three hackers is, are the three hackers. One side is playing a corporation, and one side is playing the runner. There's no one. It's not like I'm playing black, you're playing black. It's I'm playing magic, you're playing Yu-Gi-Oh. Yeah, we're yeah. playing against each other. It, it's the both sides are playing a different game. Yeah, and, which is which is a very interesting way to to mash them together for me. Like no, 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 no that's fine. It's just the, the examples you were using weren't meshing. <laughs> It's like if I'm playing a red deck, I can run into a red deck. If I'm playing Jinteki, I'm not going to run into Jinteki. I'm going to run into Shapers. Yeah. Alright. Um, I like the idea. I love the concept. I love, I love the deck deck building elements. Um, I like the way that they, um, they <clears throat> used the influence that you have. Cards have an influence factor. Right now, they're all fifteen. I would love to see, um, a a profile of someone who's got maybe they've got a higher influence factor but their special ability isn't good so they can they can mix and match more cards or different deck limits like yeah. everyone right now currently has a 45 card deck minimum so you know there's a lot of play around with that but it, it it makes it so that okay I'm mostly using my own cards but I can bring in cards from other decks and more significant cards have a higher influence factor um and it's it's fun because it's interesting and it's very different I can't name a game that really plays like this like, you know, we, we'll throw out things like magic or whatnot, but it doesn't play like magic. No, no. At all. It doesn't play like any other card game I can think of. So it is unique to my experience. Yeah. And I love deck building games, and one that is so fundamentally different is definitely... And I think that's why, why I've been playing as much, just because I, I want to understand it. I love the idea and understanding how to build the deck. Yeah. Well, for me, it's a sci-fi game. So I'm happy with it right off the bat. Uh, it, it's, not like it's a card game. It's an interesting game. Like again, same thing with you. It's like I, I find the asymmetrical nature of it very interesting. It's got some some forms of some irritants about that, but not like most of the irritants about the asymmetrical nature of the game is mostly in that it overcomplicates certain aspects. Like it makes certain things more complicated than it should be. Um, and that, you know that that mostly just in regard to the interactions between the two decks because the two decks are very different. Um, things like. I, I enjoy the use of the flavor. I think I think they definitely capitalized on the flavor here. Um, it fits well into the idea of well, like we, we've talked about previously of games that have failed to you know had a really great premise for flavor but just failed to failed to deliver on it. Like that other uh, like the other Richard Garfield Richard game, Garfield game uh, Kings of Tokyo. Uh, in this one, uh, they definitely say, "Oh well, you know, everything is thematically around this idea of runners hacking into a corporation and the corporation defending itself." And that sort of that that idea that the corporation is on the defensive and the runners are on the offensive is is accurate, you know, to to cybersecurity, uh, you know, because cybersecurity is all defensive. You can't be aggressive in your cybersecurity because you don't know that you're you don't know who to attack. All you have to do is build up your defenses and make sure that people that try to attack you regret it. Um, and same thing here. Just extrapolate it out to the natural conclusion of a futuristic cyberpunk game. Um, so yeah, I, I enjoy it. I, I think it's cool. I think it's a neat concept. Some of the things we don't like, though. Um, this game can go from 0 to 60 real quick, or not at all, <laughs> in the same deck on two different games. Um, so I ended a match as a runner in two or three turns because I just said, okay, run on HQ. Oh, look at these agendas that I pulled. I win. Yeah. 
but at the same time, I've also had a board stall where the the corporation is building and building and building and not getting the agendas they need to win, and I can't get the icebreakers that I need to get in and actually win myself. And it, and it didn't matter because he, even if he'd broken in, I didn't have agendas. If the corp, if no, if no one finds agendas, no one wins. Yeah, but the same, like, and that goes both ways. Like as Jinteki. I killed the runner with 12 net damage in one go because he ran into Project Junebug and I was ready for him, you know. It It's very... You can have the same deck play very differently, and that's maybe a good thing, but also kind of a bad thing because consistency isn't kind of where it should be. Yeah. Um, speaking of consistency, so the first night we played it, we played three games... And the runner won every time. With the and these were with the default decks. And there were games where everything was going great for the corporation and the runner wasn't doing well, but still managed to pull out a victory. So I was like, this game seems runner ba- uh, runner uh, warped. But then William and I built some decks. And with custom-built decks, we played six games, and the only game the runner won was the Fluke game on turn two when he just top-decked three agendas and won. Um, But we discovered that the corporation has a hard time winning with agendas, but they have a big time, easy time killing the other player, and the game ends very abruptly, typically. Um... I also feel like the corporation controls how the game plays because the agendas, which are how the runner wins, are in the corporation's deck. So, I f- it's hard. It, it feels like the corporations, when they build their decks right, they just have such an easy time doing enough damage to kill the runner in one go and there's nothing the runner can really do about it because if the runner doesn't take risks then the corp just scores all the agenda points. If the runner takes risks, they can get one shot super easy. Yeah. And so I wish that the runners had some way they could defend themselves better than just... better than they do, because the, the runners are entirely aggressive. They have a couple of cards that prevent damage, but not a whole lot. And aside from flukes, the runners have a really hard time Winning as quickly as the corporation done, and winning in that sort of one to sixty way, zero to sixty way. Um, I also feel like it, the, the, the big, the other big problem is, is consistency. Like Chad, of course, mentioned, you have to have so many elements. You have to have your credits to pay for your uh, program, but you have to get the programs you need. And there's three different kinds of ice, and only the and certain programs only interact with certain kinds of ice. And you have to have the right card at the right time. And there's just so much random chance. It's really easy, us again, especially for the runner, to get messed up with. I need my code breaker uh, program, and it's somewhere in my deck, and I'm just not getting it, and then not being able to catch up. Yeah, that's pretty much all the problems that I had with it as well. It's just the, the you know, it's it's oddly balanced. It, being asymmetrical makes it hard to balance things, mm-hmm. especially things like who controls the pace of the game, you know, uh, what's important to what players. How do you you know how do you and I don't even know how you begin to fix these issues either because because of the nature of the game. Well, one of the biggest issues is caused by the number of different types of cards exactly. too. If there were fewer fewer moving parts, you'd be you'd be easier to balance things against each other. Yeah, and if you know, but but if there also if there are fewer moving parts, it wouldn't be the same game. Exactly. So it's it's weird, um, but yeah, it definitely feels like at. at it, 
the biggest problem that I have with it is the defensive offensive nature of the different sides. You are flat defensive as a as a uh, as a corporation because yes, like you said, the corporation can control the flow of the game. However, the corporation can't do anything to the runner unless the runner is going against them. Yeah, the runner in specific areas. The runner has to make a run to get hit. Yeah, the runner has to interact with the corporation's ice and traps and servers to hit hit. There is one exception to that. Conversely, NBN. <laughs> no, there there's a card in Wayland. Where you, if you score an agenda, you can trace the runner, and then you can deal uh, damage to a traced runner. So there is one card in all the cards that no, came. C in source is is NBN. NBN. No, that's if you ma- that's if you make a run. It's an agenda in Wayland. Oh, is it? And it's if you score the agenda, you can instead of getting the agenda point, trace the runner. Oh, right. Posted bounty. Yes. And it's one card. And how many cards are there included? Uh, well, there's a hundred. There's a hundred thirty-four corporation cards alone. And one of them, which yeah. I think there's two copies of, lets you interact with the runner aggressively. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So that's a problem. But let's, while we're on there, let's talk about the materials. Now that we're done with that. Um. Yeah. There's hundred thirty-four corporation cards. There's hundred fourteen runner cards. There are two reference cards. Two clicker track. Two click tracker tokens and cards. Uh, there are 51 one credit slash advancement tokens. There are eight five credit tokens, six brain damage tokens, which only apply to runners, 12 bad publicity slash tag tokens, 23 generic tokens, which typically represent viruses. Um, and that's it. And, and the box that came with it. The big. Box. It's a very large box for a lot of stuff crammed into the middle. Why does Fantasy Flight Games do this all the time? It's not just Fantasy Flight. It's a common trend. Uh, it was in Mistfall, too, to have two big columns on the side and then an alley, a little valley in the middle. I, and then nothing that... like yeah, yeah, but the valley, yeah, but the valley in the middle for Mistfall was better placed out and the side areas were shelves for use in game. And I, I, I know the actual reason they do this is because a bigger box looks better on a shelf. Yeah. People will notice it and buy it. Yeah, that's exactly why. Also, with the $40 price tag, it's a lot easier to sell someone $40 for this big of a box than $40 on... Because it could all fit in this box we've got here uh, for Spellcaster, which is the size of a paperback book. It's two decks and a bunch of tokens. It could all fit in this box. Yeah. But this box doesn't look like it's worth $40, and it doesn't market as well, and it can't show off all this artwork. And now, let's let's be fair. Let's talk about the materials. So the cards are are, very nice. They're very, very nice. They're Magic the Gathering. Yeah, they're they're effectively, they're slightly thinner. They use a different card stock, but they're they're slightly thinner, but the same wax coating, Magic the Gathering cards. Um, They flick well. They shuffle well. uh, They look nice. They have uh, unique backs to from the runners and the corporations, and I don't just mean differently colored backs. Uh, it looks at first glance, it looks like they're just differently colored backs, but they're actually a very different design. The the corporation is much more sleek and aerodynamic because it's a corporation. They yeah. have to look good for the public, whereas the runner is just sort of clunky and it's efficient, but it's not pretty. Yeah, and then each card has unique art uh, made by uh, Wizards of the Coast artists. But unlike magic cards, they're very consistent with their art style. Yeah. 
everything fits in this yeah. this world. Netrunner has an art style versus Magic the Gathering, which has an art style that changes from artist to artist. Yeah, like it's got, it's got a very consistent art style. It's very consistent thematically. All the cards are color coded to match, you know, their 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 uh, section of whatever they are. Um, it looks nice. Lots of unique art in this. Uh, there's 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 plenty of you know there's there's good. Um, they have a lot of flavor text as well. That that's good flavor text. My only complaint, honestly, on the card design is it's oh it's really only for the corporation cards, but sometimes some of the cards get so busy, and there's so many different ways the cards are laid out. It's really easy, especially for the ice, to miss the little logo in the corner. That indicates what it's for, and so if you're yeah, a and quick especially sort, because ice are played sideways, so the all the information on the card is sideways. And so where it's like, okay, the bottom left is where the corporation logo is, except on ice, where it's on the bottom right, and so you, it makes it hard to quick sort through. Is it still on the bottom left when you turn it sideways? When you turn it sideways, yes. But. Yes, but the problem is if I'm sorting through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're sorting through, it, it looks weirder. Yeah. Um, so. So yeah, there's you know it's got a couple of different layout problems, but I like them. I, I like the fact that the ice are sideways. I uh, yeah because because it's it, it, that means when you draw them out, it's immediately readable what you're drawing out. It's like oh, I know exactly what this is, and it tells you intuitively how to play it. And also, it makes it easy for the runner to read. Yeah, like when ice is ice is supposed to be played sideways to indicate that it's different from a server. Yeah, but also when you're playing it. You can just flip it over and the runner can read it easy because it's because play, it's played sideways. Yeah. So the runner can just look at it and read. Yeah. The text, the text for like the text in the body of it is is normal, normally oriented, but the sideways, the like the name of it is sideways. The so name, its name and its power and its type and its type, which is what is what is what is really important for the runner to whether or not they can interact with it. Yeah. Is just easily visible sideways. Yep. It is kind of awkward though that you didn't have to turn it right side to read what it says, but. That's a minor. Usually, usually the text of what it says is either a thing that you do want to take time to read or end the run. Yeah. In which case, you can tell it's end the run. Yeah. So, but, but, uh, so this is a lot of stuff. Is it worth 40 bucks? At the end of the day, my biggest problem is if I knew what it would, I have a problem with marketing. And my biggest problem with marketing is when they try to make something look like there's more in it than there is. Uh, we had the One Night Ultimate Werewolf, which was really all about the app. And so opening the box was disappointing. If I knew I was paying $40 for the decks and the tokens, that'd be one thing. But opening this massive box to get basically two piles of cards to have a, to and, have, a bunch of, yeah. and a bunch of little cardboard tokens and all this space taken up by art. air and art. It's a it's disappointing. It's a it's a feel bad. It's a feel bad because it was marketed to say this is what you're getting, and then you look at it and it's like this is a card game. Yeah, there's it, it's deceptive marketing, and that's why they do it because they want you to think it's worth more than it is. Yeah, um, materials wise, and I get where the money went to. The money went to all of this art, but a lot of the money went to Richard, Richard Gar- Garriott's Richard Garfield's name. Not Richard Garriott. He would be more expensive if it was that. Uh, Richard Garfield's name. Yeah. But um, it'd be more convoluted if it was Richard Garriott, too. too yeah, that's true. Um, Lord British. But it, 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 and it makes it hard to say, is this a $40 game? I feel like it didn't have to be. I feel like it probably is a reasonable price, but I feel like it didn't have to be $40. Yeah, it could have been lower. It's kind of like with Splendor. They didn't have to spend all the money they did to make it what to to make 
the tokens as fancy as they were. This game, they didn't have to spend all the money that they spent to make it a $40 game. This game yeah, no, could have been just as enjoyable as a $30 game. Yeah, but is it worth the $40 is the question. I would say probably yes. At least, like, it, in its current state, I can see where the value is. Yes. I can see the value of the game. Okay. All right, so uh, last looks and, and grades. Um... It's a very, very fun game. I do enjoy playing it. I'm very interested in seeing how the card expansions change the game with potentially new runners and maybe different abilities for the corporations, maybe. Who knows? Um, But overall, I like playing it. It's something that you want to play with like-minded individuals who who are keen to take a minute and sit down and build a deck. Yeah. So, uh, restrictive on who you can play it with, so I'd give it sort of a B, solid B, maybe a B plus. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to go with B minus. I love the concept of the game, I love the deck building of the game, and it's fun to play. But it's a game so full of feel-bads. The game ends so abruptly, and sometimes that's a feel-bad. You have to draw the right ratio of cards, and that's always a feel-bad in card Sometimes it goes forever. <laughs> sometimes it goes forever, and the ga- that game was not fun. It wasn't um, fun to watch. Yeah, the game was just agonizing. And in Magic the Gathering, everyone knows the feeling of, oh, I drew too much mana or too little mana. They managed to make a game that doesn't have that entire mechanic and still get all the feel-bads of it. Yeah. Um, so... And with less opportunity to fix it. Yeah. Like, with, with you, if you get flooded, there are ways around that. If yeah. Get, the, well, and also, yeah. there's no card... There's almost no real deck manipulation. You can draw cards, but that's your only way to manipulate your deck. You can't... There's one card that lets you rearrange the top five cards uh, of your Jin- Jinteki has precognition, which lets them look at the top five and rearrange them, but that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. And so if they... If the expansions could fix that somehow, I'm not sure how they would, but if they could, that'd be great. And the asymmetry is awkward. It's full of feel-bads. But at the end of the day, it's still a fun game, so B-minus, it's not a C game. There's definitely a lot of work and love put into it. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's definitely it is fun. I enjoy the flavor. It gets a it gets a lot of bonus points for being in a setting that doesn't get nearly as much love as it should uh, in the tabletop gaming industry. <clears throat> everybody loves fantasy. Everybody loves everybody loves fantasy settings. Cyberpunk and sci-fi settings don't get nearly as much love. Uh, they're, they're getting it now in video games. It's it's it, becoming a thing. Yeah, it is, but it needs more. Um, so you know that automatically just gets bonus points with me, but. It is, there is that frustration of it being asymmetrical. There are those many, many feel-bad moments. It is, I think it's a little overpriced. Not not too much overpriced, but I think it's, I think 40 bucks mm-hmm. for most of a box is, in, in, or mostly a box, um, is a bit much. Um, it has that problem, it has that marketing problem. Um, but at the end of the day, it's fun. It's something I would enjoy playing multiple times. I, I haven't I haven't played it near as much as you guys have, and I, I want to play more of it. Um, so I'm definitely gonna give it. A, I'm just gonna give it a solid flat B, a B flat, if you will. <laughs> All right. Well, that's uh, that's Android Netrunner. I think it's a lot of fun, and I look forward to seeing what else uh, is done in this IP. So this has been the National Year Review, and we have been Final Show Films. We produce a wide variety of content every day of the week. You can check us out on our website at finalshowfilms.com. You can also check us out on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash fsfilms. Uh, and if you'd like to donate financially but you don't want to do it on a monthly basis, we do now have a Donate Once button on our on our website. You can click the PayPal donation link there. So thank you all very much for listening. Thank you especially to our $25 
supporters, Chris Comfort and Antitonic, for supporting us as long as they have. Um, and we will see you all next time. Say bye, everybody. Bye. Goodbye.